For the first time in several decades, lawmakers are focusing their attention on a massive overhaul of the federal tax system. In many respects, the rhetoric is splitting along party lines. Republicans that control both houses of Congress, such as U.S. Senator Roy Blunt, are stressing how the bill will place more money into the pockets of millions of Americans. Looking at the, uh, the way that um, the tax bill has been reported, I could understand uh, people's concern uh, about it. But when you look at the real tax bill, both House and Senate, I think it's designed to do two things. One is to create immediately more take-home pay for hardworking families. And the second thing is to, at the other end of the scale, do whatever we can to be sure that there are better jobs in the future for those very same families. But Democrats like Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill contend that the bill is too slanted toward the wealthy, which prompted the two-term lawmaker to vote against the measure in the Senate Finance Committee. McCaskill also expressed concern that increasing the standard deduction could have disastrous consequences for Missouri's state budget. I'm painfully aware that the changes in this bill could blow a billion-dollar hole in the Missouri budget. I'm also painfully aware what has happened to higher education in our state. I'm also painfully aware of the recent cuts for the elderly and the disabled that uh, the governor thought was necessary in order to balance the budget. Um, I, I really hope that someone can track down Governor Greitens and ask him what his answer would be um, as to the billion-dollar hole. As debate continues in our nation's capital, we'll go in-depth on the tax plan with Republican Congressman John Shimkus of Illinois. We'll also talk about other issues taking up the Collinsville native's attention on another edition of Politically Speaking. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens. Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor. And I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking, the only show about Missouri politics featuring a co-host who is steeped in <laughs> Illinois values. <laughs> I am that host, Buffalo Grove, Illinois native Jason Rosenbaum. Uh, the interim. What high school did you go to? Stevenson High School. Very good. One of the largest high schools and one of the best high schools in America. Uh, I'm the interim political editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is yes. colleague Joe Manis, and I'm from Indiana. So, but I've been here. So you believe most... in Hoosier values? Some. Yeah. <laughs> we are. But taking... I've been in Missouri longer, actually, than I lived in. Yeah. You know, that that's what's funny. Well, I, I lived in Illinois for 18 years. I'm on to year 16 of Missouri, and as we're kind of you're kind of alluding to, we're taking a little bit of a break from Missouri politics because our guest for the third time today is. Congressman John Shemkus from Southern Illinois. He represents 15th District, which is a state, which is a district that I think is the size of a small state, if I'm not very, mistaken. Very, that's correct. It's, uh, gosh, I can't remember, 19,000 square miles, uh, 33 counties. Yeah, yeah, can you give our listeners roughly I can. The... If they know where uh, Champaign, Illinois is, University of Illinois, I don't have the campus, but I do have the county. Okay. And the biggest town east of there is called Danville. Yeah. So uh, from Danville all the way down to Metropolis, Illinois, which is the home of Superman on the Ohio River. And then that's the north and south boundaries. And then if you take 
kind of like a funnel and just start stretching and with I-70 in the middle. Yeah. Come all the way to Collinsville, and that's my district. Now, we were talking a little bit about this off mic, and I promise, Joe, this will be the <laughs> only mention of redistricting on this okay, show. Okay, okay. He's hung up on that. But – I have a theory. <laughs> I have a theory that the, your district was drawn on purpose to make it super Republican, so that the surrounding districts would be Democratic. The Illinois is one of the few states in the country where the Democrats control the redistricting process, and I think that your district was not drawn by accident. Is that fair to say? That is correct. <laughs> that exactly how you analyzed it. They made a super uh, uh, Republican district. They drew. Um, the 15th was it tended out and ended up being a, in essence an R15 mm-hmm. district. They thought that this new district, uh, the 13th, that stretches from Champaign, Urbana to Edwardsville, would be somewhat competitive for them, uh, and that's the one Congressman Davis sits in. He's also Republican. He's also Republican. Um, the 12th district, which is the old Costello seat, which is Mike Boss seat. Is just one they let slip through their fingers. Um, um, It's southern, it's rural, it's conservative, but it's been held by Democrats for a long time, and and Mike Bost ably represents them. Yes, and it's it's always this is the final thought on this topic. It is very interesting to me that there is a national Democratic movement about making redistricting more fair, quote unquote, in uh, Republican-held states. They have not really called. Republicans in Illinois to change the redistricting process there. I don't think it's a coincidence. Well, I, I, it is when we talk about this national movement, uh, I, I do point to Illinois. And the other thing I, I point to is that it still takes candidates and it still Correct. takes people. Correct. Uh, if we did it just based upon numbers, Congressman Davis would not be the, the congressman. And right. Boston wouldn't be the congressman either. Because that's still a Democratic-leaning district. But, you know, sometimes yeah, it takes candidates. I think Trump won it. So it's probably now uh, officially a Republican district. Wow. Although it kind of depends. You know, you never know what's what's going to be happening later in 2018. But we'll get to that later. We'll get later. to that later. That's first, why we love first, this job, first, right? First and foremost, uh, I think on a lot of our listeners' minds, is what the uh, U.S. House did just a few days ago was pass their version of this massive tax uh cut bill. Some say it's really tax cuts for some, not tax Mm -hmm. cuts for others. Some say it increases taxes on some groups. I'm just kind of interested in your in your take on what happened, kind of what was the dynamics? I mean, as they were trying to get the votes together, ended up being a somewhat comfortable margin, I guess, what, five five or six more votes than you needed, I think. So I'm just interested in your thoughts about well, from my perspective, over the 20 years that I've run, I've always wanted a, what I would call a fairer, flatter, simpler tax code. I think, uh, and I've said this for two decades now, and I, I think people believe uh, that the tax code is too complex. They'd like it simple. They'd like to be able to trust the numbers, and they wish they didn't have to go to an account to do it. Mm-hmm. So you put that all together, that means how do you get a – a simpler tax code where you have to you have to take away a lot of the deductions. You got to lower the rates and take take away deductions. And if you look at the rates, the only rate that didn't go down was the thirty nine per thirty nine point six on the on the very wealthy people in our society. The the angriest calls I got were they didn't, he didn't live in my district, but he was a, a rich Republican from Chicago saying, "I'm going to pay more. I'm going to pay more." 
Well, some of it's because, I mean, it, the bill, the House bill does uh, eliminate or at least tightly reduce uh, state and local deductions, real estate Correct. tax deductions, all that. And then there's this huge furor, furor over uh, the increase for grad students, uh, some universities taxing their endowments, taxing their grad students' stipends. I'm just interested in what you're Yeah, there's you're a huge furor in communities that have large universities. Uh-huh. Um, if you're from the 15th District of Illinois, it's mm-hmm. pretty quiet on those issues. Um, again, there's two, part, there's two components on the, on the tax bill. First of all, you have the individual component. And again, to get to go from seven to, to in essence, four right. and keep 39.6, and then everything gets reduced, um, and then you'll have a couple deductions and file it on a postcard, it's being well-received in my district. Uh, now, the other portion of this is the corporate side. Because right. when people are starting to debate this, they kind of conflict the two. Because this is where you hear, uh, you know, you're, even though we see what you're doing on the individual rates, you're, you're cutting to the corporate titans of the world and, the, you know, that whole debate. Uh, in the world today, we have the highest corporate tax rate. Although, although often many corporations, in fairness, don't pay that rate because of deductions. And that's the whole purpose of having tax reform is to fix that. Because we want clarity and simplicity. We don't want – I mean, the public doesn't want, you know, K Street lobbyists, Gucci Gulch going in, cutting these special deals for these, these corporations. That's not transparent. And that's, that's true on the corporate side and to some extent that's true on the individual side over the years. So we're, we're simplifying it going from 35 to 20. That makes us competitive internationally and that's going to be good for jobs and growth. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but the bill that the House passed, does it double the standard deduction? Or, or yes. It does. Yeah, it does. Yes, now, it does. Now, there are some Missouri-based political people who are very worried about that because they fear that it would cause the state budget to lose around a billion dollars or a so. A year. A year. I don't know what the situation in like is in Illinois about whether you can deduct your federal income taxes from your state income taxes. But did you hear any concerns from Illinois-based uh, politicians that well, that would affect Rauner, that that would affect <laughs> the budget? I, I know this is kind of funny because Illinois' budget situation is yeah. national news, but yeah. I know that's been a, a talk about in Missouri in particular. No, I mean the answer is no. There's really not a lot of discussion between federal elected officials and leadership in the state of Illinois. Hmm. Uh, whether it's been on health care, whether it's on the tax code. Uh, Illinois has enough problems with, <laughs> without trying to be, you know, micromanaging in that. And in all honesty, the federal government still, with all the stuff we're going on, we still have our budgetary issues too, right? $20 trillion in debt. That's nothing to preach, you know, austerity to someone else. But uh, the tax cut bill wouldn't necessarily change that. I mean, you would still end up, I mean, they're, they're saying right now, it would still add like one point five trillion to the debt. Well, that's if you don't ascribe to the argument of dynamic scoring. See, what we did over the last Congress, we we changed from static scoring to dynamic scoring. So, here here's a uh, example that I try to use. We have uh, historically cut the capital gains tax rate. Right. And what has that done to revenue to the federal government? It's increased revenue. So. 
we think economic activity, we're going we're gonna to make the argument, I guess, for if we pass the bill and it gets signed into law and we see the economic growth, we're going to say, see, we were right. If we don't, our opponents are going to say, see, you were wrong. But that's kind of where we're headed. Now, I mean, you mentioned that in your district, the whole higher education issue isn't that much of an issue. But, I mean, are you hearing much from, like, your colleagues if they're hearing a lot about it? Cause, uh, because what the analysts are saying, it's going to increase the cost of higher education on average people by about $71 billion over 10 years. I mean, I'm, I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Well, as I said, uh, I just came back from Washington University right. and, and looking at their uh, medical research facilities, their doctoral programs. Uh, so, you know, they have the, the two provisions that they're concerned about, their endowment right. issue. And we talked through that a little bit and also grad students and what's accredited as income or not. And uh, their point was our endowments are plowed back into our research. And if we don't have that, then we don't have enough dollars to match with the NIH dollars. Good lesson learned. I'll take that back to Washington. Uh, Issue on grad students is, listen, they get a stipend in essence. uh, The other stuff accredits for their tuition. If you count that as income, they're not going to be here. All these smart grad students who are helping us do all this research are going to go elsewhere. Also, also a credible point. Uh, point. The uh, legislative process is a living, breathing entity. Uh, the Senate Finance Committee passed their bill out on Friday night or Thursday night, and then um, it'll get the floor when, uh, if everything goes as scheduled, when we get back, and we'll see what they add. The Senate process is different. Right. They actually, that's where they legislate in, on the floor of the Senate, where we do it in the committee for right. the most part. Well, partly because you got so many more members, but yeah, I mean, well, we're more of a committee-driven process right, right. where uh, where the Senate is. They're all little kings and queens, and you know they really have a say over each piece of legislation but, versus. But, but I do want to go back to the debt aspect of this for a second. Now, let's say it's not one point five trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Let's say there is economic growth that comes with this, but it's seven hundred billion dollars or whatever. I've been hearing from Republicans for a long time about how bad deficit spending and the debt is. And right. I think one of the criticisms of this bill is that rhetoric has been kind of taken aside to essentially accomplish something in the first year of the Donald Trump administration. I'd like you to address that because that's going to a core of Republican right. messaging for the last 5, 10, 15 years. Right. Or what if the growth is $3 trillion? Mm-hmm. See, I mean, you could argue this on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so uh, we think, we believe that the economy has been in a malaise for at least 10 years. Take the Obama years, you take the last Bush years, uh, 2.5% growth, where historically prior to that you've been at 5 6 7%. So you look at economic growth and just double it. If we can get the 5% economic growth, we'll, we'll, we'll match those numbers easily. And that's what, what – it's all about – the ability to compete internationally and spur economic growth. And that's, are we throwing the dice on debt and deficits? Yeah. I mean, uh, I hope we're right. Um, I just hope we're right. Well, there's there's been talk today um, that there's one proposal that's being floated around which would actually get rid of the debt ceiling. I mean, which, to be frank, there's been some on both sides who've been talking about that for decades because the United States, frankly, is practically the only major 
nation in the world of the of the that has what's known as a debt ceiling, which has been around since the end of World War One. I'm just interested in your th- because apparently mm-hmm. there's some Republicans who are floating this around. I'm just interested in your thoughts about that. Well, we're in St. Louis and used to be represented by the minority leader and Dick Gephardt. And right. There was the Dick Gep- There was the Gephardt rule, which yes. for a period of time eliminated this. Every time you passed a budget, that you didn't have to vote on raising the 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 debt ceiling or the debt limit. Now, conservatives, even now, yes, there are some that are saying this is kind of a fraudulent argument because <laughs> what is these are these are things you've already paid for, right? So, right, the debt are we going to default on right. obligations of folks? And the answer is, I hope not. You know, we have to be good to our word. But conservatives like to have this because we still feel. That debt is important, and this is the only thing that forces us to at least have that debate and go on record and say, having this debate right here, right, is right, is right. twenty trillion debt too much? Right. Well, do you think that the that Congress will ultimately send a tax overhaul bill to the president? I think that there's some doubt because the margin in the Senate is so small, and there's all these, I'm I'm using this tongue in cheek, rogue Republicans out there, like you know, uh, Flake. And the ten, uh, Corker, McCain, who Collins, might Murkowski. Collins, Murkowski. I mean, it depends on what's in it. I mean, do you? I mean, obviously, from the House perspective, the House didn't deal with uh, the the Affordable Care Act. They we did not. they threw that in to get rid of the the mandate, which some say will increase rates and you know reduce the number of people who get it. I mean, without getting into that debate, do you? Th- I mean, the House intentionally decided to keep the health care part out of the tax cut bill. Do you think, I mean, from what you're hearing, do you think that um, that that's going to stick in the Senate? I've noticed the House, I mean, that the White House is now backing off saying, you know, we don't really care if it's in there or not. And last week, it was different. Yeah. So, so with all these factors, right, where, right. what do you think ends up happening? I, the answer is I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, No, but I, here, I, I do believe it's safe to say that we could have raised that in our bill. We did not. Right. Mark Walker, who's the head of the RSC, tried to get us to include uh, the individual mandate, uh, push push that uh-huh. away. And, we, and I think it was because we had um, issues with my colleagues from high-tax states, the salt states, right. that adding that would just have made it even more difficult to keep the ones that we had negotiated with. Um, I think on the Senate, it might bring the conservatives mm-hmm. to bear and bring them more easily to this tax reform debate. Um, it, it scores anywhere between 338 and $240 billion. Right. As a, so as far as what else you can do and modify the tax code to maybe bring the uh, the universities back in happy status with the grad students or with the endowments. So I now you know, does the Senate bill the Senate bill doesn't deal with the grad students. Am I it cr- does correct? not. Okay, at least not right now. At least right now. I saw on Twitter that uh, one person gave a lot of credit to Steve Scalise for making sure that the caucus for the Republicans largely voted for this bill. I think there were only 13 Republicans that didn't vote for the And they're bill. off from the from the states that are going to be affected by the elimination of the uh, property and sales tax. So I, mean, I, I, I don't want to get too like in, in the weeds here, but it does seem like on this particular issue, especially when what, what happened with the health care issue, that your caucus was a lot more in line and on the same page than 
possibly expected. Do, do you give a lot of credit to someone like Representative Scalise, or do you think it's just the idea, too? Well, I mean, what, what Steve's been able to do in recovery and getting back to work is is uh, is amazing, and his, uh, uh, his confidence and his just drive and energy is a good sign. But I, I would say that tax reform, tax simplification, lower rates is baked into the Amer- into Republicans' DNA. Yeah. So that is intrinsically who we are. So you have to you, your 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 comfort zone is tax reform, lower rates, more money for the individual. Uh, not the opposite. Right. Uh, complexity is not baked into Republican DNA because that really is, is the state using the tax code to do what? To social engineer, to say we want this, we don't want that. And and most of us have historically been opposed to that. We want a fairer, flatter, simpler tax code and let the markets and competition assort uh, you know, the goods and services and, and that, not government uh, dictates and policies. Now, I know Trump had visited, I think, the House at least once before the vote. Did the president have much of an influence or? Um... Yeah. I, I, so he came to the Republican conference around 1130. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vote was already a fore- foregone conclusion. I think it was planned to be a rah-rah, get out there and vote. and this, But it was already done. So he mostly told stories about his trip to, to Asia. So, uh, and, you know, it was more of a kind of a party before the vote was even conducted. Well, that's a good segue to my next question. What have you thought of Trump as president so far? Because, um, you know, you're in a state now that Trump won by 19 points. We're recording this in Missouri, by the way. In Missouri, but not in Illinois. In, in Illinois, Trump was not as popular. I believe it was 54-40 or something. It was like a 14-point I think he won two counties, maybe three, and lost 99. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's where Illinois is different than than Missouri. Missouri, you have two metropolitan areas on both ends and mid-state, and we have really Chicago yeah. and, and everybody have, else. Yes. <laughs> but well, as, as a member of Congress, especially after dealing with uh, Barack Obama for eight years, what have you noticed as far as differences? What has been some strengths? What have been some weaknesses? I mean, I, as far as as far as from your perspective, being a House member, I, I'm really curious about this. Um, so it's easy to say that Trump is an unconventional president. Well, well, everybody says that. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, and that uh, he, I, I define him as a disruptive technology, like a Uber or the iPhone thrown into the federal government to disrupt the way we we normally operate. He's shaken up the agencies. He's put in people. I think the difference in, in, in other Republicans who have been president, um, they haven't been able to really shake up these agencies. They usually get consumed by them. But I think that the Trump leaders who've gone to these agencies have really shaken things up which is exactly what he would like. And I, I, listen, I think the Trump presidency is a result of eight years of Barack Obama. I think, especially in Illinois, I think people were tired of centralized government uh, dictating every aspect of our lives, or at least that's what they felt, and then being lectured about why we weren't getting on board. So it was like, burn the place down, <laughs> start anew, and that's... And I, I, in that aspect, uh, 
he's fulfilling the expectations of my constituents. Now, I think a lot of my constituents wish that he was a little more presidential in his presentation and his uh, to the public. But, if, you know, if I had a dime for everyone who said get him off Twitter, I could oh. retire. Well, let, let, I mean, I we, can't, we're, can't do it. We're, we're recording this on uh, what, what day is it today, Joe? <laughs> November 20th. November 20th. He tweeted this morning, Marshawn Lynch of the NFL's Oakland Raiders stands for the Mexican anthem and sits down to booze for our national anthem. Great disrespect. Next time, NFL should suspend him for a remainder of season. Attendance and ratings way down. Now, I know this is not an NFL show, but the idea that we're going to suspend a player for longer than somebody who does a helmet-to-helmet hit or domestic violence seems just bonkers to me. And I'm not really sure why the president is getting into this beyond just rallying his base. But is that something that you mean by presidentialness, essentially? But there may be some people. Listen, I have a lot of relatives who love that stuff. It, so, but, I'm, I, but, yeah, continue on, on your point, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm just, I will just say that many people on both sides, those who support him, those who don't support him, wish that he wouldn't tweet as much. Yeah. I mean, but uh, now from Devil's Advocate, Chris Esri, reporters, I think reporters love to see what he's Oh, I thinking. bet you love it. We, <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. It. You know, you know. Well, and, but look what I'm seeing, too, is is really now stories are being written based upon how people t- tweet now. Yeah. I mean, instead of doing a press release, you do a you do a tweet and people then take that tweet and they'll reference it in a story. Now, as a member of Congress, I mean, kind of how do you deal with this whole social media frenzy? I mean, which which wasn't around really, I mean, to this length, right. even 10 years ago. Oh, for sure. I mean, and so kind of how has this affected how you handle your office, how you campaign? I mean, just kind of what's been your... It's a media space that you have to have a presence in. And so I have, I have people uh, that uh, they will do most of my social media. Um, I may do one or two things. You can kind of tell mine because there's misspellings and. Well, you. I think every morning there's a there's a Bible verse every morning. I'm yeah. assuming that you do that. That is your mine. Staff. That is mine. And it's actually it's actually like uh, almost like a clock. I wake up, I scroll, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Representative Shimkus uh, Bible yeah. verse. And yeah. I think people have actually noticed that because I don't think every member of Congress does yeah. something like that. But I think that it's it's a way of kind of showing things that you care about beyond the realm of politics and well, beyond just. The, you know, look at what the Republicans did. Go Republicans, so to speak. Yeah, and what I and I don't editorialize. I just, I just put the verse down. I, I you know, the whole pre, the whole thing of the Twitter when it started was people f- would follow you. Yeah. So if the first thing I do is a morning devotion, that's kind of why, which is what I do, is that's why I put that on there. But I found out some interesting things too. It's kind of like Facebook. You know, I found out that on Facebook, people who, you know, they put the thumbs up, they, they say they like you, mm-hmm. to follow you, they really don't like you. You understand? Because they're not saying anything nice about you. So they say, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to like you. You remember say, like me on Facebook? You guys probably say that. Yeah. Like me on Facebook. Although I keep, frankly, I keep my Facebook mainly for personal use. Yeah. So I had some officials, even members of Congress yeah. early on, but I've, Gradually unfriended them. Nothing personal, yeah. but that's it's well, for I have my relatives. Two. I have two. It's, I have a personal one relatives. to follow my family because that's where you 
find out when you haven't been invited to a family outing, right? Maybe, <laughs> picture, you're maybe pictures, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then I also have a congressional Facebook oh, yeah. page. But I think I think it's funny because people say, yeah, I've got to like you to get on. Well, they really don't like you because no. you can tell based upon their comments that well, there's well, no liking in there. Well, well <laughs> veering out of the realm of, of whether Marshawn Lynch should stand or, or sit, has it been easier as a Republican congressman to have Trump in office because there's a clear path to get some legislation passed. I know we were talking beforehand that health care was obviously not successful. I don't know if this tax overhaul bill is going to be successful, but maybe for some of the things, for example, that you do on the Energy and Commerce Committee, it seems like there's a there's a better path than, say, when Obama was president. Well, that's true, except for you are followed my um in the last Congress, on the last administration, we passed TSCA reform, which is a chemical yeah. safety bill yes, that the president signed. Um, so I think good legislation, bipartisan, that moves through the process should the, – the president shouldn't be the um, uh, a factor totally. They are a factor. Um, the fact that we got Republican House, Republican Senate, we're moving legislation, we'd hope that would help the president eventually sign the bill. But again – President Trump is unconventional. So I, I, he he uh, was more a populist than a partisan. And, I mean, he supported Republicans and Democrats. So just because it's a Republican initiative uh, doesn't mean that he's going to support it. I think part of the, I, I think part of the issues were, um, I, going back to tax reform real quick, you know, it's part of the Republican DNA is everyone should get a tax cut because even the job creators. But the president said, no, we're not going to give tax cuts to the wealthy. Boom, 39.6, not going to change. That rate's going to stay there for the wealthy, primarily because president played the populist card. And he's going to end up signing the bill. He had leverage, and that's why that's in there. It's still being castigated as a sop to the wealthy. Well, I because mean, of the elimination of the state tax. And well, some because of the other we're Republicans. Come on. Okay, you know, know, of course we're no. going to give money to the wealthy. I know. I'm Come just, on. I'm being facetious. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I'm just no, saying I know. It's, it's not like the wealthy are coming off. But I, I well, I think I, that's part of the argument. I mean, I think people will say that too. That's true. And um, I was just going to say at the beginning of the show, it's kind of on party lines. Like the Republicans are emphasizing that this is going to put more money in the pockets of a lot of people. Democrats are saying it's a stop to the wealthy, but they said that about the Bush tax cuts too. And they probably have said that about every time taxes well, are cut. And, well, and actually a couple of years after the Bush tax cuts, they had to do some tax changes because it ended up, part of it's because 9-11 happened in the middle of that right after the tax cuts. But well, it, even it in got our, complicated. Even in our bill, it's a budget is a 10-year window. So some of them are going to be permanent. And right. you hear some of the, some of them ha- go for five years, and permanency kicks in after five. I think on, on the what we would call the death tax, you know, I think there's a a phase in for the first five years, and it gets permanent from five to ten, and it's all scoring and trying to hit the 1.5 trillion. Why what is why is 1.5 trillion magical? Because that's the budget reconciliation numbers that the Senate passed. Those right. are the numbers we. Otherwise, have to you would need 60 votes. Yes. Right. Yeah, the whole reconciliation process would have gone away. Now, you mentioned there's a couple, of, I mean, talking about issues, then you're not quite sure the, where the president stands. You've been talking about a couple issues that you've been heavily involved yeah, with, brownfields so. and drinking water. Safe drinking Talk water about, act. Well, yeah. brownfields redevelopments, bipartisan bill, uh, passed the full committee. We're going to get it on the floor, I think, next week. And that's 
so everybody knows, even in major areas like metro, metropolitan St. Louis or even rural America, there are f- buildings that are unoccupied, falling down because people don't want to take the risk of claiming title because they don't know what's there and they may have to clean it up to some standard that they're not going to use it. So Brownfield's redevelopment really, I think, returns $10 for every one. It works with the local communities, and then you, you provide the, uh, the avenue by which those, those facilities can be redeveloped. You know what the, one of the most famous Brownfield redevelopments is? No, go ahead. The new baseball stadium in Houston where the Astros won the World Series. That's a Brownfield redevelopment site. Uh, safe drinking water uh, really stems from not reauthorizing that bill in many, many years. And you had Flint and you had other issues, and this expands the ability to uh, bring more money to help leverage what local communities, that's the local community's responsibility to buy drinks, think, think drinking water to their community, but the infrastructure costs are high, and so that bill, um, we have a uh, scoring problem, it's a little bit more than uh, our budgeteers uh, will want to accept, so we're working, and my hope is that we roll that into a disaster bill because when you talk about Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and their drinking water issues, it's kind of perfect to segue in there. Yeah, because I know there's been a lot of furor about Flint and kind of what right. happened there. And without giving people the details, the bottom line was that they changed the water supply system so that it came from a, a polluted source, in effect, is what happened. And now they've had to it's redo the system. Human error. Right. And we'll see if people are held personal responsibility for – it wasn't the rules. It wasn't the regulations. Right. It was a decision made by a human that caused that problem. Yeah. So would your bill deal with that? I know many see that particular case as more of a state issue because right. it was a state official who made the that decision. Would your bill address that in some way? Or well, just- I, all I know is Debbie Dingo, who's from Michigan, serves on the committee, and uh, she voted for it. So it uh, – it, it was we didn't want to get drugged down the too politicized mm-hmm. path, but what we did is we raised the authorization up to, up to the spending levels. We brought some competition into materials and services, uh, working with the local communities, uh, and we got bipartisan buy-in. So you're talking about maybe adding what more you, you might see it becoming part of a broader disaster I am bill? either that or if we move early next year into a infrastructure bill. Okay. Uh, and so brownfields could go on infrastructure. Even though we passed something through the House, doesn't mean it's going to get through the Senate anytime soon. Mm-hmm. My job is to get these bills through the House so that if and when there may be a major infrastructure bill, you could lop in safe drinking water, you could put in brownfields, you can, uh, you can put in nuclear waste issues that I deal with, and then uh, those are all could be quote-unquote, infrastructure. Does Governor Rauner show up in Washington much? No. Because I was just kind of wondering, now, okay, I'm going to show my age here, but back in the day when I was in the Post-Dispatch Washington Bureau in the early 80s, Jim Thompson was the governor of Illinois, Republican at that time, and he was like a fixture. I mean, it was probably, I I would say at least once every two months, if not more often, and they would always let you know. They'd always have reporters come, and we'd hang around, and he would just talk about anything. And um, uh, Kip Bond was the governor of Missouri, and he did that too, maybe a little bit of a lesser extent, but he was right. there a lot. So I'm just curious. I mean, do you see uh, – I mean, does that have an effect when the state governors show up or don't, or is it just kind of window dressing? Well, I, I think it's important. I mean, Illinois is really – even though we are challenged – 
um, it's still a big state. And I would think that if uh, the governor wanted to leverage uh, recovery of the state with what we can do in a, in a infrastructure, highway infrastructure bill, safe drinking water, brownfields, that, uh, that he would weigh in and give some advice and counsel and speak for the state. Uh, Governor Rauner has uh, decided that his focus is only on things that he feels are Illinois issues and is fighting the battle to help Illinois become a competitive state again. Mm-hmm. Are, are you, are you going to – do you support his reelection? What was that question? I'll, I'll repeat it. Do you support his reelection bid? Because I know that there's already one state rep who's primarying him primarily because he signed a bill that allows Medicaid to pay for abortions. And am I, am I getting that correctly, Joe? Yes. So yeah. I know a lot of people who are opposed to abortion rights are incensed with the governor now for signing that uh, bill. The governor knows that I'm not happy with uh, a couple positions that he's taken. And uh, the uh, as he gets through the process and when he gets to the general election, mm-hmm. I'm, if it's between him and a Democrat, then I'll be supporting the governor. But you didn't answer my question, though. <laughs> Are you going to support him in the Republican primary? I did primary? not answer your question, and I'm probably not going to answer your question. Because you, well, because you're going to stay out of it. Yeah, I'm going to stay saying. out of it, right. I mean, to be honest, okay, he has a jillion dollars at his disposal. That's and I think a Republican primary opponent is going to be at a major disadvantage. That's correct. But as I mentioned before, there is some... For, for various reasons, but the reason I just mentioned dealing with abortion, there is some not happiness among the conservative base. Uh, in well, I, I think a lot of us who campaigned, I campaigned with the governor quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it was not stated. We didn't sign any oaths, but I think it was implied that if his focus was on fix, fix, fixing the fiscal mess and job creation aspects of Illinois, we're all on board. Uh, we thought that he would stay out of some of the socially divisive issues. Um, he did not. It's not just HB 40. It's also sanctuary state status um, and some other issues that have caused people in southern Illinois. Now, you, def- you define southern Illinois by anything south of where you're standing. So, you know, so or once you get to Kankakee yeah, or something right. like that. But yeah, continue yeah so now looking ahead a little bit because we're almost 2018. Amazing. This is this end of November, and um, you're running for re-election. I am. We're circling petitions right now. They, they, the first day for filing is November 27th, and the last day for filing I think is December 4th. Yeah, because Illinois is a little faster. Because in Missouri, filing doesn't start until the end of February. Right. So. So as you're looking at this, getting your petitions together, looking at the landscape, anything in particular that you're going to feel like you have to either emphasize or not or change your focus or not uh, going into 2018, I mean, compared to 2016? In all honesty, in my congressional district, the the biggest comment I get is you better support Trump. So uh, there is a – and so there there obviously there's people that follow our votes all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think uh, last time I checked, I was at ninety-seven point six. And so then, then you go, oh, no, what did, how did we not get to hundred? Mm-hmm. And the hundred was is kind of funny to mention this. It's on Russian sanctions, which the president didn't want us to pass, which he ended up signing. So I think I'm at a hundred percent. Now I don't know. I'm sure the tax vote is now part of that. 
calculation, and I don't know what the side is that follows us. But they, my folks want me to continue to support the president. Now, are there particular issues? I know, you know, the, the, the wall. I know they're doing some, he, they have built some uh, test types and things like that. I mean, the people who, in your district who really want to make sure you support Trump, are there particular issues that are high on their agenda? Well, I think it was repeal and replace. I think it's tax reform. I think it's uh, uh, obviously immigration, the wall. I think it's uh, an infrastructure plan, mm-hmm. hopefully to come. Uh, welfare reform, those type of issues. So, how much do you think the governor's race is going to loom large? Not a, okay. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna pretend like your district is going to be competitive in the general election because it's not. If you win your primary, you're probably going to win another term. But for people like. Rodney Davis and Mike Bost, I feel the governor's race is going to loom large because if Rauner, trickle down if Rauner tanks and let's say J.B. Pritzker, who is worth $700 trillion or something <laughs> right. like that, wins and he wins by a lot, that could hurt like Bost and Davis's reelection hopes. What, what's kind of your take on that? Well, I just look at, look at the field. If the field turns out to be Pritzker and, and Rauner, what do you have? You have... Two jillionaires running against each other, which is funny in a state that doesn't have any money. I I find that incredibly ironic, by the way. But let's take that. No, I mean, you're you're taking the words right out of my mouth. I mean, where is the separation? Where's the difference? It's because uh, it's, it's yeah because Illinois it does fascinate me on this. Well, here's so, a difference. So Here, how here's do you? A diff- you yes, for a difference. I think that Pritzker would sign a Democratic map in 2021. I think Rauner will veto it no, when it comes to redistricting. No, we're talking about re- redistricting, circling I mean, back. <laughs> to but I, I mean, thought I, you were going to talk about that anymore. I know. Well, that's one. Di- that's one that you asked the question, and I think I no, answered. No, I think that. the other answer is Michael Madigan. Okay. Still looms large in Illinois. Is he okay? I, I've asked this on Twitter. Now, just it, so our listeners yes. know, Madigan is is the most powerful Democrat in the state. Yes, and and May, go, maybe the most powerful Speaker of the House in, in the history of this country. Okay. Yes. Okay. Having been Speaker almost 37 years. Longer yeah, than I've been born, backdrop. longer yeah. than I've been alive, except for a two-year period where Republican was Speaker. I have noticed that Governor Rauner has castigated him, made him a villain, put him in ads unfavorably, yet, you know, and we could, gerrymandering might be one of the reasons. The uh, Democrats still hold pretty large majorities in the House. I'm just wondering how successful of a strategy it is to vilify somebody that I'm not really sure is hugely unpopular in Illinois. What? I I would check polling numbers. I, is he? I, I don't think, know. I think the the, 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 mm-hmm. the the disappointing thing is what's happened is the race to the bottom, mm-hmm. and it started day one when the governor got elected, having this fight with Mike Madigan, and I can assure you that both their numbers are very bad. Oh yeah. So. You're not running for governor, though. We'll be, you'll just be watching that as a, an outside observer. We'll leave it at that. But we want to thank you again for coming You're and welcome. talking with about a multitude of issues for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And I was thrilled to have the congressman here. I was thrilled, too. Right. And I would also be thrilled to know what your Twitter account is. Uh, it's uh, Shimkus.gov, I think. I think it's at Rep Shimkus. Oh, that's right. You you have to know because Shimkus.gov is my house one. <laughs> yes. So so just follow any of those those uh, ways to follow the congressman on the World Wide Web, and also like him, and not only just like him, but yeah, also please. you should like him. He's a nice guy. You should like me. <laughs> He's a nice guy <laughs> for coming right. on our show. But we'll be back next time. Until then, so long.